Amen. <laughs> Thank you for sharing scripture with us this morning, Levi. I really appreciate it. Sometimes those Bible zippers, they can be troublesome, but you did really well. He didn't even look rattled at all. Like, that's, that's impressive. Sometimes I get up here and there's like a technical malfunction and it shakes me. I tell you what. Um, before we begin our sermon this morning, I want to share with you just a couple of things to keep in mind. As John shared, uh, we have our Fall Hall Hall coming up on uh, Sunday of next week, and we need a few people to sign up to decorate some doors. We definitely need lots of donations of candy, uh, you know, not because I'm going to stash some in my office or anything like that, although that then may happen, I'll confess, if we have leftovers. Um, Bring candy anytime this week, and we will make sure that it is received by the children in our community who come. Last year, for our, uh, our drive-boo, as people drove through our parking lot and picked up candy, we had over 200 children that we were able to bless in some way, shape, or form. I can't do the math on how many families that is, but I can tell you this. Seeing the relief over the last two years on parents' faces as they came through, uh, our our trick-or-treat experience, uh, there was a lot of gratitude, a lot of thankfulness. Um, in talking with members of our community over the last couple of years, that's something that our church is known for. It's a thing that they recognize as a part of who we are as a congregation. And this is a ministry that we have to our community. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, you know, be involved in this ministry in some way. It is an opportunity for us to bless the children and parents in our community. Um, the other thing that I want to let you know about is our Wednesday night breaking bread time. Uh, that's been going on for a little over a month now, a month and a half, I think. Um, we've had a pretty good turnout, both from within the congregation and members of our community. If you haven't been, I'd encourage you to come and participate in the meal and join us for classes on Wednesday nights. Uh, ben Stutzman has been teaching a class for parents, uh, and it's, it's, I believe, about shaping character in our children and helping them to grow into the kinds of people that God would want them to be. Uh, Don has been doing a class on season one of The Chosen. Uh, it had been in the auditorium, but they're meeting over there for technical reasons in, the, in room 11. Um, and so if you want to come and participate in the meal, uh, come and do that, and then stick around for the, the class as well. Uh, although, if you just want to stick around and have visitation with members of our community, you're welcome to do that. And so I uh, encourage you with those events and activities that we have going on, come and participate, be involved in those things. Sometimes when, uh, when I think about my life, there are like entire chapters that seem so long ago that I've sort of forgotten about them. Uh, and one of the things that I had mentioned this summer, uh, you know, was my, my very cool high school activity that I was involved in, something that made me genuinely awesome and wonderful, and everybody thinks it's just the coolest thing you could be involved in. That's marching band. Uh, I, was, I was a clarinetist in the marching band, and I'll tell you what, there is nothing in the world that's cooler than playing clarinet in marching band. Um, this, is, this is part of the senior class of the Roseburg High School Marching Band of 2020, or 20, 2002. Sorry, try and get that out there. Um, and yes, Nancy has clocked me in the picture. I do have bleached blonde hair with very dark roots on the side because that was cool in 2002. Uh, or at least it was marching band cool. I don't know. You can see a lot of the guys. Actually, there is not a true blonde in this picture who's not female. Uh, and so, you know, we're all, we're all bleach blonde there. Um, 
When I think about marching band, though, you know, the thing that I remember is that it was this huge collective of people who all had uh, different instruments that they were playing. They all had a different mission in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And this all sprang to mind, believe it or not, because of parking lot lines. I don't know if you've noticed, our our front lot is about two-thirds of the way restriped, uh, and some of that is because the contractor that we've got doing it is kind of lazy um, and hasn't gotten around to the other third of our front parking lot. But as I was striping these, the thing that came to mind was, was marching band, again, because when I was in high school, the football field was sacred and holy ground, and we did not practice on the football field, our marching routine. We would get to perform our routine on the football field, but even the football team didn't practice on our actual football field. They had a practice field, and this was because Coach Bell, Coach Thurman Bell, one of the winningest coaches in all of Oregon high school history, uh, he, he was adamant that the football field was only for Friday nights. Nobody used the football field except the team and the marching band, on Friday nights, once a week during football season. And the rest of the year, he went out there, and he spoke quietly to the grass, and he sang it lullabies and made sure that it grew appropriately. And so we marched, or we practiced, on the parking lot at Roseburg High School. And we would line up on lines, and we'd get in ready position, and we'd have our instruments ready to go, and we'd march these straight lines, and we'd, they, were, they were intentionally painted so that every line was five yards apart which made for some pretty substantial parking spots you know, for, for cars. But in addition to that, uh, it made it so that we then could translate it well to the markings on the field. And so we'd go out and we'd march on these parking lot lines and we'd learn to march in straight lines and we'd learn how to gauge what it would take to move that five yards in 16 measures. Have you ever seen someone take that long to move five yards. It's like these tiny little steps that you're making the whole way through, and you're trying not to get there too soon, because if you get there too soon, then when you're doing your competition, you get deducted a point, and it becomes really painful and difficult to do. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have someone who starts off on like the 75-yard the line, or not the 30-yard the line, and then they have to make it to the other 30-yard line, and so they're moving as far across the field as you could possibly imagine in the same 16 measures, And they're winded and exhausted, but they're also doing it while they're playing a tuba. It's it's a lot of work. They have the same length of time to move two completely different distances. They have completely different music that they're playing, and they're not necessarily playing the rhythm that they're marching because everyone marches to the same rhythm. Everyone puts their foot down on the same step, and you put the same foot down on the same beat of every measure because you have to stay in step with the rest of the band. And if you don't, when you go to compete, you get deductions. And you may be thinking, how in the world is a a guy sitting up in the stands going to clock someone on the field, one of 75 or 80 kids who's out of step one step. But here's the deal. There's not just judges up in the stands. There's also judges down on the field. And the best part of marching when you have judges down on the field is you get bonus points if you run them over in the process of trying to get to your spot. They're like, yep, there was nothing slowing him down from completing what he was supposed to do. Marching band is a full contact sport, believe it or not. 
But it all starts with this page that you're given. About a hundred of them. Every song that you're going to march to has these, these graphs, and it's kind of blurry up there. You may not be able to see it, but every graph is comprised of all these little numbers and letters, and you have like S1, S2, S3, and those are the saxophones, and you have C1, C2, C3, and those are the clarinets, and you have like D1, D2, D3. Those are the dancers, you know, the flag people that have these big you know, crazy things, and they're in leotards and stuff out on the field. They don't look like anything having to do with the rest of the marching band. But they're out there too, and they're all supposed to fulfill these abstract shapes that you look at and you're like, wow, it's really cool that they're just like marching around down there, and they kind of made something that looks a little bit like a, a squiggly line in a box. But that squiggly line in a box is supposed to be the movement to the next thing that's this gigantic block of the entire band that all hits at the same time, and they all raise their instruments and they play at fortissimo, and they're, they're blasting you away. And it's, it's all very opaque to the people sitting in the stands. It's really hard to tell exactly what's going on on the field. But to the people who are on the field, every single one of these positions, every one of these X marks the spot, are ingrained in who they are. It's a lot of work. We used to joke that, you know, the, the football team had one play with one set of marks on it for their, you know, their team, and they would move in these arcs, and they got the cheater lines, right? Here's the, the running back is going to make this move up and around the line, and it's like, oh, well, that's great for him. He has a little line to show him where he's headed. We have this page, and then the next page that's something completely different, and we're supposed to figure out how we're going to get there. And we have to do that a hundred times in a single song. We just get like the playbook that the football team has and make those formations out on the field. In a lot of ways, I think the church is a little bit like a marching band. Every one of us has an instrument we're playing. We have gifts that we've been given. We have ways in which we're supposed to work. We've been given our marching orders. We know where it is that we're supposed to be headed. And sometimes we have to figure out, how am I going to get there from here? We're given two sheets of paper. This is where you're at right now. This is where you need to be in the next two measures. Figure it out. One of the interesting things about it is that as you're going through this process, you begin communicating with one another. You, uh, you start having to talk to people who aren't in your own section. The clarinets have to get really familiar with the, the saxophones so that we can start discussing, hey, I'm going to pass right between the two of you, between... A, a uh, setting and B setting. This is going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to make sure that there is enough space between the two of us for me to get to my mark. And they do it. There's no pride in it. There is not a, a question of whether or not it's necessary because it absolutely is. You need to arrive at your mark and they need you to arrive at your mark. Because one person in the band can receive a deduction for the entire band. And so everyone's working together 
to make sure that the end product is exactly what we all hoped it would be. To arrive at that big dramatic conclusion of the song where we all blast our horns and we stand there feeling proud and we are triumphant, even if we walk away with the second place trophy. (laughs) And the church is a lot like that. We all have an end goal in mind. More importantly, our director has an end goal in mind. And it includes all of us. There's not a single person that's going to be off the field at the end of the routine. If there are, something has gone drastically wrong. Last week, uh, Kyle shared with you about the idea of cessation versus continuation. He talked about how important it is for us to recognize that the Spirit does continue to work in miraculous ways today. And if we discount the idea that the Spirit could do those things, we should actually probably find ourselves unsurprised that the Spirit doesn't do those things. If we are, if we are not expecting the miraculous from the Spirit, we're probably not going to get the miraculous from the Spirit. And then when we do get the miraculous from the Spirit, we may not recognize it as such. I appreciated what Kyle shared about, uh, about Rebecca having this comforting moment in which she knew that things were going to be okay in their pursuit of having a child. I shared with him a story of my own. After my father passed away when I was 18 years old, I remember about a week later, my entire family was still in town after his memorial service, and we were, we were gathered together, and I was, I was exhausted. I had gone into the living room, and I'm laying down on the couch, and I remember kind of falling asleep, and in the other room is my family talking, and I was in a state of kind of being aware of where I was and what was going on, and that my family was over there, but it was also more of a restful, peaceful, quiet sort of moment for me, and I remembered hearing a voice that was like my father's, but it was not my father's, and the voice said, you'll be all right. That was it. That was the whole thing. And in that moment, I felt so overwhelmingly comforted by that voice and that simple statement. I want to tell you, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. I cannot enumerate other times that the Spirit has spoken audibly to me in ways that I can say this was definitely the Spirit, but I feel as though the Spirit spoke to me in that moment. I feel that comfort moved me towards the next set in my life, the next set of uh, places I was supposed to be, the places I was supposed to go. It was a comfort to me, and I don't discount that as something that was the activity of God in my life in a time when I desperately needed it. But Levi read to us this morning from 1 John chapter chapter 4, rather, and one of the things that John encourages the church to do is to be mindful of the voices of spirits and to test them. He says, in fact, that there are many spirits in the world, and there is a spirit in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, and there is the spirit that has been placed within us. He tells us very clearly that the spirit that is in us is greater than the spirit that is in the world. He tells us to test it. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth 
and the spirit of error. We want to have some sense that the marching orders we're taking are the right ones. We want to know that the voice that we're listening to is the voice of God and not the voice of this world. And it can be hard sometimes to have that kind of discernment. It can be difficult for us to really take it in and say, this is God's voice in my life. And I want to encourage you this morning to begin the process of understanding how that discernment works. Because I want to be honest with you, I believe that I have sat in elder meetings for the Newburgh Church of Christ where I have heard the gift of prophecy used. Where someone has offered, and I want to be clear what I mean when I say prophecy, someone has uttered a word from God, about God, for God's people. They haven't spoken about the future. They haven't said, you know, I think in six months Jesus is going to return and we all need to sell our homes and start wearing flowing robes and shave our heads and, you know, anything along those lines. I'm not talking about prophecy in a Western sense where someone is saying on uh, April 16th, the lottery numbers are going to be 4, 8, 12. I don't even know how lottery numbers work, and so forgive me. Don't try writing them down because I'm going to lead you wildly astray. Prophecy is a word from God about God for God's people. And I believe from our own elders, I have heard words of prophecy. Prophetic words for God's people. Sitting in our auditorium on a Sunday morning, listening to Kyle preach, I believe I have heard the gift of prophecy. Words from God, about God, for God's people. Visiting with Janine Marnick, I believe I have heard the gift of prophecy. Words from God, about God, for God's people. Sorry I called you out there, Janine. Hope I don't make you uncomfortable. I know I didn't make Kyle uncomfortable, but I apologize anyway. The gifts of the Spirit are given to all who are a part of the body of Christ. Now, there are various gifts that we might receive. We've talked about this, that to each, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the building up of the church, right? That is something that we're told. And I believe that everyone in this room who participates in the body of Christ, that the Spirit wants to actively speak through you, work through you, do things that are beyond you for the benefit and building up of this body, for the ministry to our community. It's going to look different from person to person, but I also think it's going to look different in a single person from time to time. I think that sometimes the Spirit is going to work through us in ways that we speak the words of prophecy, God's words to God's people. There are other times that I think God is simply going to give us the, the gift of comfort for another person, which might actually be the words of God, right? I think that there are times that God fills a person with the ability to teach who maybe doesn't have the ability to teach naturally of their own accord. I think that there are times that God is going to fill us with, with manifestations of the Spirit that make us as individuals a little bit uncomfortable. I think if we're always comfortable with the way that the Spirit works in our lives, either we have a remarkably in step spirit or maybe we just 
aren't letting the Spirit work in our lives. Last week, Kyle shared a Venn diagram. I, too, like Venn diagrams. Sorry, I'm going to come back to this here. Um, And so I had uh, planned for a Venn diagram, but, you know, this is my favorite Venn diagram that's ever existed. There are people who are breaking my heart. And there are people who are shaking my confidence daily. But only one of them does both. And that individual is Cecilia, all right? This is my favorite Venn diagram that's ever existed, ever will exist. There is no better Venn diagram. Uh, But I had this plan to talk about the ways in which we might understand the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. And we're going to share that Venn diagram in just a second, but I'm going to pull it from a particular story in Scripture that I think is important for us to recognize and understand. In Acts chapter 15, there is a great scuttlebutt in the church about who is and who is not in and who is and is not out. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And they begin to have this dialogue and discussion. Well, you know, there are some that are saying that we have to be, you know, circumcising these Gentiles who are coming to, into the church. This is a necessary thing for us to do. This is something that is being taught. Is that the case? Does this mean that we need to circumcise every man? who comes from the Gentiles to believe in Christ. And so they have this long discussion. They, they pray about it. They discuss it together. And in the remaining part of the chapter, they arrive at this conclusion. They send out a letter. It says, For it has seemed good to, lay, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's the letter that they send. I mean, there's a little bit more. But this is the conclusion that they arrive at through discussion, through prayer, through the consideration of of Scripture. But they claim that this is the Spirit's will and theirs. That's not language we use in our church very often. And I think if we did, it might make a lot of people very uncomfortable. If our elders got up here on a Sunday morning and they said, you know, it seemed right to us and to the Spirit, or to the Spirit and to us, that we do X, Y, or Z, there might be a handful of people in here that kind of shift in their seat a little. Did they just say that a decision that they made came from the Spirit? Are they claiming that God spoke to them about the things that we're called to do as a church? Isn't it scary that that's scary to some of us? (laughs) That the leadership of our church might claim that God has spoken to them in ways that they can affirm that might make us uncomfortable. I find that problematic. Again, I want to tell you, I have sat in this room right over here, occasionally in that room right over there, meeting with our elders, and decisions were made in which I believe the Holy Spirit had guided our elders. 
The words that they shared with one another were words of prophecy from God. I believe that there have been decisions made by our elders that they can say it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit that we should do this thing. But we want to test these things, as I said before. We want to make sure that when we claim that something is the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we're not doing it just because it's what we want to do, right? Notice they say it seemed right to us, but they also say it seemed right to the Holy Spirit. This is not just our will. This is the will of God. And we want to make sure that any time that we're saying something is the will of God, that we've tested it, that we've put it to the test, that we understand that it is, in fact, what God designed for our community, for our church, for our congregation moving forward. And so this morning I bring to you my uh, not round Venn diagram, and I want to I tell you how we might discern if something is the voice of the Spirit. You know, there are three areas in which we tend to draw the activity of the church from. These are not the only areas which we tend to draw activity of the church from, but these are ways in which we often make decisions or choices. We confer with Scripture, we confer with one another as a community, and we consider our tradition. What have we done in the past? What do we think we're being called to do today? What, what seems good to us? And what does the scripture say about it? And in this particular passage, we can see how these play out. There is the literal text of scripture in the Old Testament that deals with circumcision of the Jews, those participating in the covenant which God has given to them. On the other end, there is also the tradition of these individuals. They say this is the custom of Moses for those who become a part of the covenant to be circumcised. And then there's this community, which is the Jerusalem Council, those individuals who are gathered together to discuss the issue and consider what it is that's being being discussed. And as they discuss this, they weigh all of these. These are each and every one of them important in the discussion of what the next step for the church might be. Nobody is discounting the tradition. Nobody is saying, you know, tradition doesn't matter at all. But they are taking into consideration the voice of the community, those individuals who are filled with the Spirit who are discussing these things. They do take into consideration Scripture and what's being discussed there. And somewhere in all of this, they they begin to discern the voice of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that the tradition dictates the voice of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that the, um, wow, that's just, that's not going to move. They all came together in such a nice way in the, the transition I put together. That's okay. They all overlap, and there comes a point at which, right in the middle, you have the Spirit. It seemed right to us and to the Spirit in our contemplation, in our consideration. And you know how we've, how we've come to that conclusion is that we've considered the information we have at hand. We haven't made this choice lightly. This is not something that we've walked into without considering all the aspects and all the things that we're supposed to be doing. It seems right to us and to the Spirit. And gosh, I wish my Venn diagram was up there. And there are times where Scripture and tradition overlap, 
And those are usually good indications. If the church has traditionally done something and we find evidence of it in Scripture, that might be something the Spirit wants us to pay attention to. If we read Scripture and our community reads it together and we come to a conclusion as a body that something is maybe lacking in how we live out our faith, that's probably a pretty good indication that the Spirit is encouraging us in a particular direction. If, if as a community, we examine our tradition and we say, this is a, a good thing. The Spirit has been calling us to, to consider how we as a community live things out, and it seems as though this tradition is beneficial for us. The Spirit might be calling us to remain in a particular tradition that we've set. But sometimes we can even balance these things out and find ourselves using them in ways that aren't with the Spirit. It is possible for a community to engage Scripture and walk away with some pretty quirky and wrong ideas. It is possible for a tradition that we've pulled from Scripture to gather entirely the wrong idea. In fact, I was uh, out at a retreat for, for directors and board members of Camp Yamhill uh, yesterday, and we were having a conversation between uh, one of the board members and myself about the ways in which people read Scripture. And sometimes they read the story of Abraham, and they see that he has uh, a wife and another wife, and maybe, you know, maybe that's the Bible affirming polygamy. Or we end up seeing that, uh, you know, there's this moment in which, um, you know, Joseph, uh, not Joseph, uh, Jacob swindles his uncle, but his uncle has already swindled him, and we're supposed to deal shrewdly, it says in the New Testament. And so maybe one of the things that we're supposed to do is try to get, gain any amount of uh, wealth that we possibly can by any means, as long as it's against someone who is an enemy of the church, and that's okay. There have historically been people that said, it's okay to cheat people outside of the church. I don't find authorization for that in Scripture, right? That's, that's problematic. We can take our tradition, our community, we can take Scripture, and sometimes we can arrive at the wrong conclusions about what the Spirit is calling us to do because maybe we just want to ignore the Spirit. And if we sanctify our own imaginations... If we put them in submission to the Spirit, it might be possible for us to overcome that shortcoming. I want to move into kind of the the end of this sermon this morning, and I want to leave you with just a couple of thoughts about the ways in which we might avoid the messiness of our tradition, our community, and our, our reading of Scripture that sometimes allow us to ignore the voice of the Spirit when we should be listening to the voice of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16 through 17, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And in the verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Keep in step with the Spirit. The band nerd in me loves that phrase, keep in step. And in the middle, there's this discussion about what it looks like to walk according to the flesh. 
and then what the evidence of someone keeping in step with the Spirit might be. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is walking in step with the flesh. But then Paul turns his attention to what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we make sure that the things that we're saying the church should do are in step with the Spirit? Well, first of all, we consult one another about it, right? That is our community. We come to the community and we say, you know, I really think that the church should be doing X, Y, or Z. And we do come to one another and we present that to one another. And then we give the opportunity for the Spirit speaking through Don. We're speaking through Josh. We're speaking through Amy or speaking through Heather, or speaking through John, to say, you know, I'm just not sure that that's what the Spirit wants. We, we present it to one another, and we ask ourselves, are the voices in our congregation that we're listening to, those who are filled with love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. I'd trust a word of prophecy from Janine, because I see in her the fruit of the Spirit. I would trust teaching from, from Amy Rockwell, because I see in her the fruit of the Spirit. There have been times that the Spirit has spoken to me through my wife, probably more than through anybody else that I have ever known, because she has the most opportunity to call me to correction. And I trust the voice of the Spirit speaking through my wife, because I see the fruit of the Spirit in her life. I trust the voice of the Spirit speaking through Sean Jones, and I've had years to hear the Spirit speak through Sean. As a mentor, as a teacher, as an elder, as a minister. Because I've seen the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life, I trust that the Spirit speaks through him. How do I know that a member of our church isn't simply trying to get one over on everybody or lead us down the wrong path? How do I, how do I know, how do I test the Spirit speaking through them? I look for the fruit. Is this a person who walks in step with the Spirit? Do they know where their mark on the field is? And are they moving towards the big conclusion? Do I see evidence of that in their lives? Or are they completely off the map in every possible way? While the rest of us are out here marching, are they the ones that are already in the locker room? 
doing something completely different. How do I know when the Spirit speaks to me through my brother or sister in Christ? I examine the fruit of their lives. And it's important for us to understand this. Kyle and I were discussing this earlier this week. I'm not talking about a person who is patient in the normal sense. Someone who can put up with me for 10 minutes and then you know, walk away and be like, gosh, I'm glad that's over. That might actually be some people in this room this morning. I don't know. I'm a bit much to handle sometimes. But people who have patience that goes beyond normal patience, the kind of patience that can only come from the Spirit. See, sometimes we think that if we just act enough like the Spirit calls us to, if we force ourselves and will ourselves into being people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we've somehow become huge Holy Spirit people indwelt in magnificent ways. And it's important for us to strive for these qualities. It is a good thing for us to desire to be more loving and kind and good and patient. But there are some people that the only way you can possibly understand how they could be so loving and so kind and so patient and so faithful is because they are a person who has stopped trying to do it on their own and has allowed the Spirit to make them that kind of person, to form them into a living model of the image of Christ. If you know people like that, listen carefully to the things they tell you. It is the Spirit speaking through them most often. And we're going to consult Scripture, and we're going to ask ourselves the questions that Scripture presents to us, and we're going to live in the ways that Scripture calls us to, but we should especially be listening to those among us who are filled with the Spirit, who have the evidence of the Spirit, and the way in which they read Scripture, and then the way in which they look at our tradition, and the way in which they inform and listen to our community. And those are the individuals that speak to us on behalf of the Spirit. I think our elders do that on a regular and frequent basis. I've gone way over my time this morning. It's really hard to speak about the Holy Spirit and not preach for an hour and a half. But I want to encourage you to listen to those who have the fruit of the Spirit manifest in their life so that you might hear the voice of the Spirit. And recognize that the prophet, the prophecy that the Spirit offers, it's not going to conflict with our reading of Scripture. It might conflict with our reading of Scripture. It's not going to conflict with Scripture itself. It might conflict with our tradition. It might even conflict with what we as a community have traditionally done. But we have enough voices of the Spirit in our lives in this room right now that I think that we can safely say, if we listen to the Spirit in our community. We trust the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not, we're not going to wander off the field. We're going to be where God has called us to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are good and faithful. Your word is good and faithful. Your spirit is good and faithful. God, when I use word, I'm using Christ there. Jesus is good and faithful. And we believe that when we look to the Father, when we look to the Son, when we look to the Holy Spirit, 
we receive our marching orders. We receive the information about where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to sound like, so that we do, in fact, become little living models of the kingdom of heaven heaven, everywhere that we go. That people look at us and say, I may not know what the end result is supposed to be, but gosh, they look good doing this. I'm interested in knowing more. Help us to be so filled with the Spirit that it pours out in ways that people are marveling at. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I would be happy to visit with you if you come visit me there.